Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with episode 248 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are here to talk all things AEW and NXT in a very special holiday edition of your favorite wrestling show. I want to thank you all for being with us for yet another year of performance enhancing audio used to be what it was called back in the day, Uh, but some great wrestling audio for your ear holes as we wrap up this holiday week and get ready for the final week of 2021. So we kick off today's show as usual with a reminder, of course, folks, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review. Also, head on over to Spotify and leave a five-star rating. Let people know how much you love this show. We asked for 100 five-star ratings on Spotify. We are well beyond halfway to that goal after just one show of asking. Let's get there. Let's get all about the five, five-star reviews on Spotify. I'm so glad they opened up rating systems there. Uh, it's great that so many of you jumped on it. I really, really appreciate it. Um, we are all about the five on this podcast and wherever we can get reviewed and rated, um, I would you know greatly appreciate if you guys take the opportunity and take the time to go and do that. The good thing is with Spotify, it literally takes five seconds to rate the show. Five seconds, five stars, all about the five. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I did tell you guys that some uh, nominations for the Getting Over Awards, aka the meaties would be sent out on Twitter Wednesday, unfortunately, due to just timing, uh, some other issues that we had. We were unable to get those nominees out on Wednesday. So what we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to spread those nominees out all day long on Friday. Yes, I know it is uh, the day of Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve day, I believe is what it's called. Uh, we're going to space out the, no- the nominees and the awards all day long. You guys can reply with your choices, any names or matches or whatever that are off our list. And then we are going to do voting Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So you will still have 72 hours to vote. I did have to delay everything, but the Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties, will be broadcast here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast stream next Wednesday. So look, a lot of stuff is happening on this show. We have WWE Day 1. Next week, we have the awards. We have our 250th episode. And then at the end of that week, we have the start of 2022. So a lot of stuff is happening here and in the world, certainly. Uh, we don't need to get into all of that stuff that's happening. Uh, but I appreciate you guys spending a little bit of your time each week listening, of course, to getting over. And we'll talk about the schedule a little bit more at the end of the show. I don't want to waste much time today. It is a holiday episode. Let's run through everything that happened across AEW and NXT this week. We are going to start with AEW, where Hangman Page and Brian Danielson, there was a rematch for the AEW title officially announced on Dynamite. Uh, this is going to happen in two weeks on the debut on TBS. Tony Schiavone uh, was in the ring. He was shilling his ass off in a Jacksonville Jaguars Christmas sweater. He asked Hangman if he would have beaten Brian if he had five more seconds. Page said he was disappointed in himself. Brian came out. He said he's the one disappointed because he kicked Hangman's ass and he's still not the champion, but he doesn't like to complain. Danielson said 
He's not going to make the mistake of wrestling between now and their next match like he did before when he got hurt. Instead, he suggested, hey, let's have the match, but let's also have judges and they can declare a winner if we go to another draw after 60 minutes. Page ran off like five or six different stipulations he thought they could use instead, but ultimately he said the judges are just fine. My problem with this, my only problem, was that nearly every stipulation that Page gave was better than the judges' idea. A cage match, a ladder match, a best two or three falls. Like, every other option is better than just having judges at ringside. Now, I presume this is not going to go to the judges anyway, and they're only doing it to get notable names on the show to promote the special dynamite. So ultimately, I think the stipulation is going to be irrelevant. But if it was to go to the judges, that's going to be an eye roll and basically another way for Brian to escape losing a match or potentially losing a match, maybe just not winning a match without actually winning or losing. Danielson's part of this promo. It was great. Hangman, perfectly fine. It definitely kept the excitement level up for the rematch. And that's really all you can ask for at this point. They are trying to stretch it over a number of weeks. They are successfully doing so. I do hope, though, that once we get past that first week of 2022 Dynamite on TBS, that we move on, Hangman gets a new opponent. Even though I love, of course, Brian Danielson. We had MJF and FTR against CM Punk, Darby Allin, and Sting. This was the main event to Dynamite. MJF cut a promo backstage on Punk, but also failed to get Wardlow to buy into any of the shit he was saying. He and Dax Harwood were both really strong on the mic in that segment. It felt like the first time we had seen Pinnacle, all of them together in a while. And even though they were all together, Tully Blanchard wasn't there. So they still weren't complete. Uh, Wardlow then in the sh- later in the show beat Sean Dean with four power bombs in a match. Sean Spears hit Dean with chair shots in yet another post-match attack. And yes, if you think there is a theme of AEW post-match attacks, if you look at Rampage and Dynamite from this past week, I want to say something like 75% of the matches had an attack after the bell. It was just crazy. As far as the match goes, so Sting wore Punk's logo on his face paint. Darby had half of his face painted like Sting, but it was like pink. But the best of it all, Punk wore Sting's old school gear with his face paint from like early in the WCW days. So not the black and white, but like the multicolor face paint. They were all matching together. It was in Greensboro, North Carolina. So they all did that on purpose. But Punk, out of all of them, was exceptionally cool looking. MJF ran through the crowd to avoid Punk, who chased him back to the ring. I couldn't get over how bad of an idea it was, given Omicron and everything that's going on, that these guys are running through the crowd. I don't care if you're running by, you know, they're maskless people, but they still ran through the crowd. It just seemed they didn't need to do it. They should have like run into one tunnel and out the other. That's that's what I would have done if I was kind of like booking the territory there. Anyway, Darby threw himself wild out of the ring with a tope suicida that sent it to commercial break. MJF then disappeared at that point. This was an exceptionally long match. It had multiple commercial breaks. Sting and Punk each got hot tags, but neither came close to getting a fall. FTR hit a superplex and splash on Punk for a 2.5. Cameras completely missed a Darby spot outside where he ran into MJF, throwing him over the timekeeper's table. FTR countered a GTS into the big rig, but Sting easily broke the pin. MJF returned and Sting threw him out of the ring into FTR. Sting then splashed all three of them off the top rope outside, which was absolutely insane. And that got a standing ovation, deservingly so. Dak saved MJF from a GTS, so he took it instead, plus a Scorpion Death Drop and a Coffin Drop as the faces got the rousing victory. This was a fantastic main event. There's really no other way to say it. Outside of Hangman Danielson uh, from last week or two weeks ago, whenever that was, this was one of 
my favorite AEW television matches in months. We had the women's match a couple weeks ago that was really good, but this combined nostalgia, good wrestling, some really sick spots. Again, staying off the top rope outside is insane. And we got the right winners that sent the crowd home happy. Could I nitpick it? Sure. I'm not really going to. I'm just going to say four stars and an A minus. It was really entertaining. On Rampage, we had the Young Bucks, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish against Best Friends and Rocky Romero. Trent went on a run with his hot tag. Then it was full Rick Knox chaos special. Uh, Trent kicked out after a four-on-one attack and a brainbuster from Fish. Then Orange Cassidy broke a fall after an avalanche Falcon Arrow. Then he had an orange punch and a springboard cannonball as Trent finished Fish with strong zero for the win. It was fun for what it was. You guys know that matches like this, especially in AEW with these guys, are just not my taste. On Dynamite, though, we got Cole versus Orange. The match was getting hot when the faction members came down to brawl before a commercial. Orange had stunned Dog Millionaire in a flying DDT for a near fall, then a Mishinoku driver for another. Orange put his hands in his pockets on the top rope, so Cole caught him with a super kick when he flew off, hit Panama Sunrise, covering with his hands in his tights uh, nonchalantly, and Orange just kicked out. Orange avoided last shot and hit Beach Break for a near fall. Bobby Fish ran down during the finish, and then Kyle O'Reilly appeared behind Orange to deliver some hits. Cole then hit last shot for the one, two, three. O'Reilly attacked after the bell. Best friends failed to make the save and Fish hit the high-low finish with O'Reilly. They stood next to each other and you were kind of waiting for them to make a hand signal like Undisputed Error or something like that. As the Young Bucks walked down, they were really confused. And basically the story, as they told it on commentary, is that Cole is being pulled in two different directions here. He has his loyalty to the Young Bucks and then he has his loyalty to the guys formerly known as Undisputed Era. Which way is he going to go? Is it going to affect the elite? That's basically what they're trying to do. The match was really good. I think it would have been better without as much comedy. I still went 3.75 stars and a B plus. It was entertaining. The finish was expected, but well done. And leaving Cole's loyalty hanging, instead of just looping O'Reilly in with the rest of the elite and Fish and all them, that was smart. O'Reilly is definitely in the right spot going to AEW. I'm excited more than anything to see him team with Fish again. The singles run in NXT was an abject failure, and that had nothing to do with NXT. It was completely Kyle O'Reilly. We're fans of his on this podcast, but he's a tag team dude. It works far better with Bobby Fish, and I hope they have a lot of success there. As far as the storyline goes, I am very curious to see what they do. Is it something that ends up blowing up and becoming Cole, O'Reilly, and Fish? against the Young Bucks and Omega when he comes back? Is it that type of situation? Is it all like a charade and they actually are all together? And it's just to kind of fool us as viewers. Those are all questions that, you know, will be answered hopefully in time. And I'm kind of excited to see it play out. On Rampage, Dan Lambert was back with Men of the Year. Lambert called Tony Khan two-faced, saying he pretended to push people on merit, but just rewards the EVPs and AEW is becoming a late 90s version of WCW. He also focused a lot of hate on Cody Rhodes, who came out and stood around stealing the mic back and forth with Lambert. Then he got beat down by men of the year with Dustin Rhodes making the save, but losing the battle. Then Sammy Guevara made a second save. All of this was so unnecessary. And frankly, it was terrible. I couldn't find a positive in the entire thing. Zero point zero. And then on Dynamite, you had Lambert and men of the year in a like box Lambert is saying the exact same scripted shit that he did a couple days earlier. He did have one good line about fans being unable to cheer for Cody because he's a bigger dick than Lambert is. That's funny. Then he demanded that one of the guys, either Scorpio Sky or Ethan Page, 
get the next TNT title match after Cody does. And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, shouldn't he be trying to get them tag team matches and tag team title chances? They don't deserve a TNT title match. They don't deserve a tag team title match. They don't deserve shit right now. And this whole thing is absolutely terrible because you want them to get these matches, but now you're starting a feud with Cody and clearly there's going to be a tag team match you would have to believe with Cody and Dustin. So are they going to have that match and men of the year win by beating Dustin? And that's going to then justify because they want a tag team match. One of them getting a singles title match against Sammy Guevara. The whole thing to me is absolutely terrible. Please, for the love of God, stop with Dan Lambert. He did not need to come back. Ethan Page is so good on the mic and so much better than Lambert on the mic. Just let the man effing talk. Like why? I don't understand why you would have someone else speak for him. It's like almost with Team Taz. I don't need Taz to speak for Ricky Starks when Ricky Starks is better on the mic. So for me, this was just uh, straight up bad. You know what? It was one of those situations where you kind of just want to say, and yeah, I was delaying to get the sound drop, sue me. On Dynamite, Britt Baker's entire Christmas party that they promoted was a normal backstage promo with Shivani. I think they did this for Thanksgiving as well, and it was the exact same deal. The only difference was set design. Britt said Rio was out of her league trying to challenge for the title. It was a good promo by Baker as usual, but again, it's the same thing every time with her. She's never in front of the crowd. She's rarely in matches and often just standing backstage talking. It's like a paradigm of how they think about women's wrestling in the women's division, that the top woman in the entire company who's a champion has basically zero creative behind her right now. Uh, On Dynamite, we had the TBS Championship Tournament semifinals, Ruby Soho against Nyla Rose. Ruby hit a slingshot tornado DDT after a commercial. Nyla grabbed a chair from under the ring, but Ruby missile dropkicked it into her face. Vicky Guerrero pushed Ruby off the top rope, and Nyla hit a draping flying knee for a flat two. Ruby caught Nyla in the dragon sleeper, but Vicky jumped on the apron. Soho got distracted, and Rose hit the beast bomb for a 2.5. Nyla grabbed Ruby's arm for a move off the ropes, but instead Ruby pulled her down and used that momentum to hit no future for the win to advance in the tournament. This was a really solid and enjoyable match. It was well-booked, smart finish, protected Rose, and we got the right winner. Ruby absolutely had to advance into the tournament finals, but now she also has a shoulder injury kayfabe that she can sell as a potential excuse if she ultimately loses the final, which it pretty much seems like she's going to at this point. It seems like they gave her a built-in excuse, but I went three stars and a B minus. You could even convince me it was 3.25 and a B. I really enjoyed this. On Dynamite, we had Malachi Black against Griff Garrison. Black caught Garrison with a huge kick at the bell. Instead of finishing him, he went after Brian Pillman Jr. Garrison took advantage. Black largely dominated though. He ultimately chose to submit Garrison with a single leg crab. Pillman pushed Black off and then ate a black mass. This went exactly as expected, and it was perfectly fine. Just kind of a little bit of a squash, but a little bit more action than a normal squash. On Rampage, we had Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz, and the Lucha Bros against the acclaimed 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. Ray Phoenix completely whiffed on a tornado frog splash. It was like he didn't even come close. He hit the ring flat, and it was not supposed to be a miss. The finish was sudden with Garcia rolling up Kingston and using a handful of trunks. The heels obviously attacked after the match. Anthony Bowens hit Kingston in the head with a boombox. Jurassic Express made a three-on-five save in two seconds. Then they handed the titles to the Lucha Bros, basically setting up a title match. I I got nothing for you here. Look, the Lucha Bros are incredible. You guys know I love them. 
But the match was forgettable. Extending the Kingston storyline is absurd. It ended what was a terrible, in my opinion, episode of Rampage. Dynamite was good. Rampage was terrible. On Dynamite, they did the dueling taped promos thing where they both talked about pounding ass and shoving things up asses. I mean, like, yikes. Like, I don't understand why they forced that in there. I also want to say there was a meal culpa for, for me from last week. I asked out loud while why Chris Jericho was out of the storyline. I was like, it doesn't make sense. He got attacked. Why isn't he there? Well, there's two reasons he's not in the storyline. First, he is on tour with Fozzie, and that's why they attacked him to write him off. Didn't realize that. That's on me. But also, he was hospitalized like a couple of weeks ago, and that I knew. So it made complete sense that he wouldn't suddenly be wrestling again. You know, that that doesn't explain why this was a 10-man instead of a six-man match. There were four people involved that were completely unnecessary. And now they're doing the six-man tag team match anyway next week. So the booking was shit. That doesn't change the booking. But at least, you know, I, I can admit I was wrong about Jericho. That part of it makes sense. On Rampage, we had Ty Conti against Penelope Ford. Conti tried an arm breaker and a triangle, but Ford escaped both. She got her in a butterfly, but the bunny distracted. It looked like they were setting up an impressive high-risk move, but it ends up just being a submission. Ford caught her with a back handspring cutter, but after counters, Conti won with a pretty unique submission move. Bunny knocked Conti out with brass knucks, and Anna Jay ran in with a chair. The match finish was solid, but the rest of it, it was really slow. It was really boring. And of course, there was another post-match attack. Just monotonous stuff. You know, if you're going to put a match on a show, and I say this all the time with WWE as well and NXT and wherever, let there be a reason for it and let the finish be meaningful. This didn't feel like it meant anything to me. Uh, on Dynamite, Serena Deeb cut a taped promo basically saying her feud with Akari Shida wasn't going to end until she beat her. Now, AEW, of course, they say they don't do rematches. This is going to be the fourth time they fight, and this is just one of a number of feuds that, that have had multiple rematches recently. Now, granted, this one's a bit spread out, but neither of them have fought anyone else in between. And because there's only one AEW women's match per show, it's not like they could do it any faster if they wanted to. They're both fantastic in the ring. One more match, fine, I'm happy to see it. But after that, enough is enough. Okay, let's, let's just end this. Speaking of enough is enough, and it's time for a change, uh, there was a great video package for the Owen Hart tournaments with AEW wrestlers talking about why they idolized him and enjoyed watching him growing up. I presume we're going to get this almost weekly until the tournaments actually begin. I'm really excited for the initiative. I think it's a really great idea. I do wish they separated the tournaments a bit more, given they're just about to wrap one up, and then they're going to begin to that happen simultaneously and seemingly are going to last for a really long period of time. And this is coming from someone, by the way, who loves tournaments. I love wrestling tournaments, but it just kind of feels like they're jamming them all together in such a short window that it's totally unnecessary to do it in that window. You know, maybe there's a reason for the timing. I know they want the finals at double or nothing, but I don't know if they had to be at double or nothing. Maybe I'd have to really look at it. Maybe like Owen Hart's birthday is around there or there's a meaningful date or something like that that I'm not thinking about. But if there's not, then this does feel a little bit rushed in terms of the time frame they're doing it, coming off another tournament. But you know what? Once it gets started, it gets started. I'm probably going to enjoy both of them. I have to imagine they're going to be really well booked. So that's it from this week in AEW. Like I said, Dynamite was a really good show, holiday show, solid. Um, there wasn't too much in terms of major storyline developments. But when you have a holiday show, really all you want is some good matches and a 
a valuable two hours. You want your two hours that you give AEW or any company to feel valuable. And I felt the time I gave AEW on Wednesday night was valuable, but truthfully, the exact opposite. The one hour rampage from last Friday, it felt like the biggest waste of time to me. I was literally angry watching that show and could not wait for it to be over. And AEW doesn't do that much. But I will say that Rampage in general is a far, far less enjoyable show than Dynamite. And this is from someone who really likes one hour shows because it's not a drag. You get in, you get out and you go on. But Rampage for, for me was just a total drag from start to finish. Promotional consideration for this episode of Getting Over is sponsored by DaVinci, makers of the world's most advanced vaporizers. DaVinci creates a -a one-of-a-kind vaporizing experience combining thoughtful design, meticulous engineering, and innovative technology. The DaVinci IQC vaporizer works with both dry herbs and extracts. It features clean-first technology, advanced temperature control, and replaceable batteries to provide a -a one-of-a-kind experience. And just for you, our Getting Over listeners, DaVinci is offering 10% off any purchase of $50 or more on their website, davincivaporizer.com. Simply visit davincivaporizer.com, add products to your cart, and enter promo code DAVINCIGO. That's D-A-V-I-N-C-I-G-O. Whether you're spoiling yourself or looking for the perfect holiday gift, the DaVinci IQC Vaporizer is an incredible option. Again, visit davincivaporizer.com and enter promo code DAVINCIGO for 10% off any purchase of $50 or more now through December 31st, 2021. And with that, let's move on to this week in NXT. Uh, They're basically spending NXT, or they spent, I should say, NXT, building for New Year's Evil, which is coming up in two weeks and does look to be a pretty exciting show. You're going to remember last year's New Year's Evil was one of the best uh, television specials of the year. When I say last year, I mean this year. 2021's New Year's Evil was one of the best television specials of the year. Uh, So, you know, I don't know if it's going to live up to that, what we got last year. But some of the matches are definitely interesting and should be pretty entertaining. So let's get into this week in NXT. Tommaso Ciampa called out Braun Breaker to open the show, saying he didn't need a microphone because he knew his argument already. It was basically B-Rabbit, the final battle in 8 Mile. Ciampa said Braun did earn another chance at the title, but he's still inexperienced. He's not ready to be the next in a long line of incredible NXT champions. Ciampa then went on this long rant. He got really red in the face. He slapped Braun across the face. So Braun lifted him over his head and then gently pushed him down, grabbing the title and handing it to him, basically saying, I'm going to eat you alive at New Year's Evil. It was a really hot segment. Champa can sell anything. We'll get into the predictions next week, but I want to see the go home and think on it a little bit more. You guys know I am fully believing that Champa should not drop the title to Braun, even though it is a rubber match without really being a rubber match. But what I will say is this was a great start to this week's edition of NXT. We had Raquel Gonzalez against Dakota Kai in a street fight. Early in the show, Kai attacked Gonzalez backstage in the storage area. They beat the shit out of each other with all variety of items, poles, trusses, road cases. Gonzalez drove Kai into a garage door inside the warehouse and then outside the warehouse. They fought into the parking lot. Then they got to ringside. Kai stomped Gonzalez's head on the steel steps. They finally got into the ring, but the bell didn't ring. Kai put a garbage can around Gonzalez, gave her a coup de gras off the apron, Gonzalez then powerbombed her into the steel steps and did a chingoma bomb into a trash can in the ring for the one, two, three. First, I need to point out that this booking was a little bit confusing because 
commentary, Vic Joseph, made a point to note while they were fighting backstage, the match wasn't official until they were in the ring and the bell rang. Well, they were only in the ring for like a grand total of two minutes. The first time they got in, the bell never rang. So I was under the impression that everything that was happening was unofficial. And they were just brawling with each other with the idea maybe they would do like a loser leaves NXT match or a big stipulation match in two weeks at New Year's Evil. I figured they'd beat each other down, next week they'd recover, make the stipulation, and then they'd go into the special event. Instead, we got a decisive finish. And the match was a banger. It was entertaining. I loved that it started backstage and finished in the ring, as opposed to most street fights that start in the ring, go backstage, then they come back out to the ring. It was a little bit too fast paced. And because of that, there wasn't as much selling as I would like for a brutal match. It did ultimately fall below my expectations. I thought these two were going to put on an A match. I will say 3.5 stars and a B. It was really good effort. And hopefully this leads to Dakota Kai getting called up to the main roster. We talked about her possibly making a debut at the Royal Rumble, but it was just confusing the booking of this entire thing. Like I said, they never ultimately rang the bell. And because of that, I'm as a viewer sitting there thinking like, oh, okay, this isn't a real match. It's just two women beating the shit out of each other. And then all of a sudden we got to finish. So I don't know, uh, maybe I missed something. I don't think I did, but that was my perspective on it. After the match was over, Gonzalez immediately cut a promo, demanding a rematch from Mandy Rose for the women's title. Cora Jade instead said Gonzalez deserved a rematch, but she wanted retribution for toxic attraction injuring her. Mandy streamed in live from her pool. She was wearing a bikini. She had the title on her waist. Uh, She said that they were both jealous of her, envious of her, actually, I think was the word. But because she's a fighting champion, she's going to do a triple threat at New Year's Evil. Toxic attraction attacked the faces from behind. And then they threw Gonzalez through a table, which is going to set up, obviously, a go-home tag team match between everyone except for Mandy Rose, leading into the triple threat at New Year's Evil. I just thought the entire thing was weak. They're really trying hard with the Mandy Rose sex appeal. And obviously, of course, Mandy Rose is good looking. But, I mean, that's not how you sell a champion. Um, You kind of want them to be a really good wrestler and a good personality and someone that you want to see on television. And while I think she's beautiful, don't get me wrong. I am not particularly interested in Mandy Rose as the NXT Women's Champion. I certainly am not interested yet in Cora Jade as the Women's Champion either. So I, my hope is that Gonzalez takes that title, but we'll discuss the actual prediction on next week's show, which will be an ultimate preview for NXT New Year's Evil. Tony D'Angelo had a promo video package where he said he's lived up to all his promises so far in NXT. Pete Dunn got one also. He pointed out, I'm basically the same age as all these 2.0 guys, and I'm even hungrier than they are. And I, I thought that was really interesting and smart. They had him point that out because he really should be in that crop. He's just way more experienced and way more talented in the ring than any of them at this point. So he's well, um, well uh, respected and talented and accomplished uh, beyond his years, which is, of course, a good thing for Pete Dunn. Uh, we got the match in the main event, Dunn versus D'Angelo. Dunn ate a bunch of suplexes, then stomped D'Angelo's head. Tony hit a Mishinoku driver for a near fall. He tried to use a crowbar on Dunn when Dunn tried to submit him. D'Angelo stuck his hand in Dunn's mouth, ripped out his mouthpiece, and then ran him face first into the turnbuckle. He tried to hit his finisher, but Dunn snapped his fingers and then hit the bitter end for the one, two, three. They brawled after with D'Angelo hitting the fisherman's neckbreaker outside, choking Dunn with the crowbar in his mouth, and then drilling him in the wrist with the crowbar while talking shit as NXT went off the air. 
This was a really good match that showcased a couple of young talents. There's a lot of ironic love out there for D'Angelo, but he's got skills and he can definitely be a player once he rids himself of this stereotypical Italian mafia type of gimmick. The post-match, it was also done well. I hate the trope of the loser who you're attempting to get pushed and get over winds up with the upper hand, even though the other person won the match. They could have easily just let Dunn you know, end the show on top and then have D'Angelo attack him next week and set up a rematch or done something like that. So I didn't really love that booking at the end of it, but the match was really entertaining. I went 3.25 stars and a B. Like it was it was a lot of fun and a solid main event. But again, just some of the post-match stuff lost me there. We had the Grizzled Young Veterans against the Creed Brothers. GYV were impressed backstage watching a video showing the Creeds lifting weights. They were up on the Creeds in the match when Jack of Time trotted out their own mini announce table and did Japanese commentary. Then Briggs and Jensen walked down the ramp. GYV ran the Creeds into Jack of Time outside and all four teams brawled. I think they did a no contest finish in 11 minutes. I'm not sure if this is going to be a fatal four-way or if this is going to be an eight-man. The wrestling was actually pretty good, but the whole thing was a complete mess. And man, they just will not let GYV look good in any way. Like they won't let them win shit. So if it is a fatal four-way, I really do hope that GYV wins that match. Grayson Waller cut a social media promo about AJ Styles, joking that it's 2021 and Styles badly needed a haircut. He also said that Styles is rich, so he should just be retiring at this point because he's losing it in the ring. Indy Hartwell later called Waller a douche, so he made fun of kicking Johnny Gargano out of NXT, and he made a pun about the way as well. We had a match here, Dexter Loomis against Trick Williams. Carmelo Hayes and Trick talked their shit backstage when Loomis appeared on a TV and scared them. Carmelo confronted Loomis at ringside when Roderick Strong attacked from behind and they battled backstage. Trick went to use a shoe. Loomis caught him in silence for the knockout win. And look, Trick is far too green to be in a singles match against a slow, methodical wrestler. He has a good look. He has plenty of charisma too, but there's just a ways to go for him. So after this match, Waller attacks Loomis with a chair. And then AJ Styles pulls up to the arena. They go to commercial, they come back. And Waller's there. He's talking more trash about Styles. His music hits. Styles comes in to loud chants. Styles basically called him an asshole. Waller said that Styles is only there to find a new tag team partner because he lost Omas. Styles said, look, there's some real future superstars in NXT. I think he named Braun Breaker, Tony D'Angelo, and Carmelo Hayes. I think were the three people that he shot, uh, shouted out. But that the jury is still out on Waller because Waller is currently in a position where he'd rather look good and lose than look bad and win. They faced off, but when Styles challenged him to a fight, Waller ducked out and said he'll take him down after Omas does. This was pretty good. It's not a surprise, of course, because Styles was involved and Waller is good on the mic. Maybe they booked this for New Year's Evil as a way to pop a rating. As long as Styles wins the match, it's a perfectly fine booking to get him down in NXT for a couple weeks. But it is interesting when you consider that he's going to fight Omas. You have to presume he's going to lose that match. And then he's going to go into NXT and fight Waller. It's like, why is he dealing with both of these things at once? It's pretty strange. And, you know, whether they do try to pop a rating or not at New Year's Evil or a subsequent show, Styles being on this particular NXT did not pop a rating, was not good, very low demo. It was going against a couple NFL games, to be fair, but it certainly didn't help and, and get a lot of people to tune in. Uh, Malcolm Bivens cut a promo with Diamond Mine, challenging Carmelo to a champion versus champion title versus title match at New Year's Evil against Strong. Melo accepted the challenge and said he'd walk out with two titles. 
And then a couple minutes later, it was announced that it was going to be a unification match with both men signing a contract next week. So we finally have the booking we expected. I don't want to say that getting there was sloppy, but it certainly could have been done better. Now we do wonder which way they go with it, though. And we will talk more about that next week on that Ultimate Preview. Riddle explained to MSK how a scooter is like a tag team partner. They all talked about having a great time together and learning from each other. Riddle said he'd be with them next week in NXT, and they were all really excited. But right as they were getting excited and having a great day, they all got hit by a car. Then it was revealed that it was all a dream. MSK woke up. But then as they woke up, Riddle shows up with three scooters. I laughed at one point when they were riding down the street again, and they actually looked both ways this time, and they all did it. That was kind of funny, and it was a good way to end the whole thing. But other than that, this just continues to be a comedy gimmick segment, whatever you want to call it, without comedy. It's not funny. (laughs) The idea is that MSK is going to call out Imperium next week on TV, and I I presume that's going to be the end of these videos and and this whole storyline with Riddle, although maybe Riddle shows up on NXT next week. Imperium later said that they ripped MSK's heart out, screwed them up, and while MSK may have found a shaman in Riddle, they have a general, obviously referring to Walter. There's a funny bit where Mackenzie Mitchell offhandedly was like telling the guys they were cutting promos in German and Italian. She's like, I don't know what you said, but let me ask you another question. I thought it was really funny the way that she handled that. Uh, Zoe Stark thanked Io Shirai for driving her to rehab in a pre-taped deal. Shirai explained that she had to get work done on her shoulder anyway, but then she kind of smiled as if maybe they actually are becoming friends, but Zoe's wearing her down a little bit. Legato del Fantasma got started with them. They got into a little argument over the rehab table when Electra Lopez and Io had a stare down. Lopez later said she was going to destroy Shirai in the biggest match of her career. They really need to get Shirai to the main roster. It makes no sense that she's down in NXT in a temporary tag team wrestling Electra Lopez. Yet we had the match, Shirai versus Lopez. Zion Quinn came out like two minutes into the match to take out Legato. He held mistletoe and jumped on the ring apron. When Santos Escobar took him out, Shirai then punched Lopez, who got distracted, and won with the moon over moonsault. This would have been a really good spot to get someone like Saray, let's say, a win. You know, that's what you do here. Not Io. She doesn't need like a gifted win because of a Zion Quinn distraction. Io should be wrestling in meaningful matches. She should be wrestling for titles at WWE pay-per-views. She should at least be in the NXT Women's Championship picture. This whole thing was a vehicle for the Quinn Escobar Lopez romantic love triangle storyline or whatever they want to call it. It's silly stuff. Looping EO in here was ridiculous. Let the woman have wrestling matches. What are we doing here? Uh, Von Wagner fought Idris Anofe. Wagner was aggressive from the opening bell, but Anofe countered a powerbomb into a code red and held Wagner down for the upset win in like, I don't know, 90 seconds or something like that. Wagner attacked after the bell, hitting an Olympic slam and a lariat. Then he bumped Robert Stone's shoulder on the way out. So NXT has Wagner beat Kyle O'Reilly in his final NXT match, only to have him lose in 60 seconds, 90 seconds, however long it was, to someone who I like in Anofe, but someone who is completely unestablished. He's had like three matches. I think he's like one and two in them. And you're having him beat this Von Wagner who, yeah, I don't like Von Wagner, but you're trying to build him into something. You can do the post-match beatdown out of frustration after a hard-fought win just the same as you can after an upset loss. This was terrible booking. 
And man, I am more down on Wagner with each passing week. I have no idea what they see in him. And then lastly on NXT, Joe Gacy cut a taped apology promo on behalf of Harland. He explained Harland snapped on the Brian Kendrick because he touched him and called him a freak and that pissed him off. Later, Kendrick was in a neck brace. He told uh, the video, the camera in a like pre-taped deal. He resigned as coach in NXT and signed a waiver to fight Harland next week. So we're going to get that match next week. All in all, it was like a 50-50 edition of NXT, which honestly is what almost every edition of NXT is. Half the show is good. It's solid wrestling. It's decent character development, storylines and people that I care about. And the other half just is not. And not only is the other half not stuff I care about, but it's oftentimes things that anger me or upset me or just piss me off as you kind of just heard me break down the show. So, you know, NXT is NXT right now. Um, it just continues to be a massive downgrade from what they were doing before. The ratings are lower than ever. The demo is lower than ever. The average age viewer is higher than ever, which is the exact opposite of what they're trying to do. So suffice to say, um, all their changes, all everything that they've been doing here, also treating NXT as basically irrelevant when it comes to the main roster, calling people up, not using and releasing them, calling people up, making them worse than they were in NXT. The WWE is not really giving people reason to care about this brand and shoving a riddle or an AJ Styles or whoever else may show up here and there for one week or two week stints. That's not going to suddenly get a significant portion of the audience to tune in. There's really only a few people in WWE, Roman Reigns, Becky Lynch, maybe a Seth Rollins or a Kevin Owens, you know, a couple others, New Day, Big E. There's very few, there's a finite number of people that are going to get people to record or tune into NXT to watch it when they otherwise would not. And I love Styles. I like Riddle. You guys know I, I, I'm big fans of both those guys. They're just not going to get people to tune in. So you can keep throwing them in there. I don't think it's going to work. Anyway, that is this week's uh, AEW and NXT edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. A reminder about the schedule to come. Of course, I told you the nominees for the Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties, will be released on Friday on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So make sure you follow us and make sure you reply to those tweets with any nominees we might have missed before voting begins on Saturday. Yes, I know it's Christmas Day, but it's going to be 72 hours of voting. So you can vote all the way until Monday night. End of Raw will be the cutoff when it officially is over. Anyway, that's what's happening in terms of Twitter. As far as the show goes, on Tuesday, we will be back with the WWE Day One Ultimate Preview. Both go-home shows for the first time since we've done all these Ultimate Previews on Tuesday. Both go-home shows will be in the books. In the books, uh, SmackDown on Friday night is taped. Raw on Monday is live. We did hear that WWE main roster is dealing with some COVID-19 issues. So how much of a go-home they'll be able to do, who's going to be on that show, what the booking is going to be, that all remains to be seen. Nevertheless, WWE Day 1 Ultimate Preview on Tuesday. On Wednesday, one day later, we're back with the Getting Over Awards, the second annual meeties. We're going to give awards out to the best and worst in professional wrestling over the last year. That will also be the 250th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Thursday, we'll be back with analysis from AEW New Year's Smash and an NXT New Year's Evil Ultimate Preview. So lots of stuff to talk about 
next week here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And it all culminates the following Saturday, January 1st, WWE Day 1 Instant Analysis. So, coming off a two-episode week and a holiday, a four-episode week of Getting Over for you. An award show, the 250th episode, a WWE pay-per-view, special AEW show, and a preview of a special NXT show. Absolutely loaded week. If you are not a subscriber yet, please subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And if you are, you just need to remember, we are always... Not the best lead in there, but you get what I'm saying. Getting Over is all about the five. So please, please leave a five-star rating for us on Apple Podcasts and especially Spotify, which just opened its rating system. All you do is you go to our show page, which you're probably on right now listening to us, hit the three dots, then you hit five-star. Or there might be a button that says rate this podcast, hit that, hit the five-star, that's it. Less than five seconds, you will give us the five-star, and maybe I can stop annoying you guys about it at some point soon. Uh, so that's it. You know, thank you guys for listening to the show. I hope you all have a great holiday season. Do not forget to not only join us in our nominees for the Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties, but also voting in those awards from Saturday through Monday. All of that is happening before we speak to you again on Tuesday. With that all out of the way, I'm going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.